You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So you're going to need your Bibles if you have your Bibles. Otherwise, you can do the YouTube app or the YouTube app. Goodness, you can tell I have a 12-year-old. Everything is YouTube in our house. Ian has like, he's got this little YouTube channel and he uploads all these little basketball videos and basketball commentary. It's really quite something. Little homeboy got 344 views on one of his uh, commentaries. I'm like, how are you, like you paying people to watch you? I'm in one of the commentaries and the people are making fun of me. No, it's okay. I can, I can handle it. I can, as long as, you know, I mean a little bit. And, uh, well, I can't really handle it, but it's okay. All <laughs> right, right. All right, so if you have your Uversion apps, you might want to use those this morning so we can have, have this time together. So what I love about Williamsburg is that we are a community of stories. We, we embody the stories we tell through dramatization and performance every single day. We tell these stories because they explain the legacies we inherit, right? They define our sense of truth and self-understanding. As a citizenry, story is how we make sense of the things that happen to us. Stories are our way of describing time. We're formed by story, as Jason talked to us last week. Whether we know the story or not, we're formed by story. And I think that's important. Whether we know the story or not, we are formed by a story. When we know the story, we can discover where we've been, where we're going, we have a place to stand. We have a place connected to something bigger than ourselves. We understand the logic behind why we see the world the way we do. Stories help us make sense of ourselves. Stories help us make sense of our place in society. And something we've said here for years, we are the stories we tell ourselves. Because all that's true, we are the stories we tell ourselves. And that's why stories must tell the truth. That's why we must tell the story to ourselves again and again and again in light of our faith. That's why I'm grateful what Jason did last week. He did a beautiful job walking us through our story to remind us that we are formed by God's gospel story. And this week I want to remind us that we are to be guided by that story. So everybody say the gospel. Alright, so we begin by asking what is the gospel? And, and I know that's a basic Christian question. We should know that because that's what we heard and what led us to faith in Christ. That's what we entered into and received in our baptism. But we have to remind ourselves of the story. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the gospel? Is it a plan or something we must believe to be saved? Or is it more than that? And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bibles, Paul believed the gospel was the greatest story to offer true liberation for all. It includes what Paul means when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, according to the Scriptures. And that's going to be the key line I want you to read in this description of the Gospel. It's one of the only places in the Bible that describes the Gospel in the shortest terms. But what I want to ask you to pay most attention to is the language of according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. And brothers and sisters, I want to clarify for you the Gospel. Gospel, good news, means announcement. Everybody say announcement. So it's the announcement of something. Okay, that's what a Gospel means. Real quick. So, oh, I can't. Real quick, so when, when, um, when Roman armies and Greco-Roman armies were fighting, a lot of times they would send someone in on a horse in the middle of the, of the fight 
and announce the gospel. Like, doo, 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 doo. I don't know if that's how they did it or not. But, but they would say, hear ye. They wouldn't say, hear ye, hear ye. You can tell I've watched too many of those like commercials with the mint, you know, like where they do that. But they would say, listen to the gospel of the king. This is the good news. It means good news announcement. So understand that when Paul uses the language gospel and when Jesus uses the language, the word gospel, they're borrowing from a political language house. Are you all with me? I know it sounds like I make this stuff up, but if you really, if you study and you read it, it's there. I assure you it's there. They're borrowing from a language house that already existed. Just like ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church. What church meant is, literally, ecclesia means the people who gather to talk about the affairs of the state. That's what ecclesia is. So ecclesia, if you read Greco-Roman literature outside of Christianity, you'll see that word there. Same thing with gospel. You'll see that word in Greco-Roman literature. You won't just see it in the Bible. It's in other literature. And it was a word that's even used in the Hebrew Scriptures that's transliterated, which means it's a word that gets a translation on top of a translation. What I'm trying to help you see is that Paul didn't make the word up. The word already had meaning. There are varied Gospels out there. So we begin by asking, what is the Gospel? Paul says, I want to clarify for you the Gospel I proclaim to you. You received it, and of what? Taking your stand on it. You are also saved by it. If you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe for no purpose. And then here's what Paul does. He shortcuts it. He said, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received. That Christ died for our sins, what? Okay, now, what Scriptures is he talking about? He's talking about the Hebrew Scriptures. Remember, there's no New Testament right now. So when Paul says according to Scriptures, he's saying, Christ died for you just like he said he would in the Old Testament. Right? That's how it'd be. According to the Scriptures. In the Hebrew narrative. The Hebrew story. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day. Read it. According to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. So here's what I'm trying to say. When Paul says according to the Scriptures, he means according to the Jewish story. The Hebrew narrative. Paul is pointing to the Gospel as a story. It's the announcement of a story that Jesus is Israel's Messiah promised king. And because of all the promises that were associated with that particular king, he is Lord then of the cosmos. Because the Hebrew scripture said that's who that king would ultimately be. The Lord of all nations. It's the gospel story. And Paul knew, church, that he was not the originator of the gospel. He learned it from his Hebrew scriptures and how it was believed, how it was believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the promised King of Israel and the Lord of the cosmos. It's why he understood the gospel as the announcement of a world-changing story. So I want you to say the gospel is an announcement of a world-changing story. And that world-changing story could be summed up in three words that mean nothing maybe to our neighbors, but it should mean everything to us. Jesus is Lord. And then we embody that to our neighbors. Like when we embody that, that confession, and that's how our neighbors begin to understand our language house. Right? That it's the gospel as the announcement of a world-changing story, listen now, rooted in the Hebrew Scriptures and fulfilled in the person of the brown-skinned Jewish king who was God-made flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. And listen to how Paul begins. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 1. 
But now Paul begins one of his letters to the Roman Christians. These churches, now it's significant to remember, they're living in the midst of the Roman Empire. So they're living in the midst of the world power of the Empire of Rome. And I want you to listen to how Paul ties in the Gospel story. If you've studied Romans, you may have missed, you may have missed how this works. Listen to it slowly. We're going to read it slowly. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ. Christ is the Jewish word for what? Messiah King. So remember that. Paul, the servant of Messiah King Jesus. Paul is an apostle and set apart for the what? The gospel, the good news of God. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You see that? You see the connection? Paul is drawing right here in our New Testament the connection that our story is the fulfillment of of the Jewish story. It's a fulfillment. It's a continuation of a story that precedes all of us, right? Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David, according to the flesh, so He's connecting it to the story, and was appointed to be the powerful Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Everybody say obedience of faith. For the sake of His name among all the what Gentiles. So keep in mind, Paul is telling the Jewish story to Gentiles. So Paul is assuming that the Christians who weren't Jewish knew their Bibles a little bit. And even if they didn't, Paul needed to connect their story to the story, to the Jewish story. This is why we can't exist without the Old Testament. That's why we can't exist without the Hebrew Scriptures. If we cut half our Bible out, we don't know how Jesus plopped into the earth. We don't know what it means. Like, what's the big deal? But when we understand the prophecies and the story, it matters. Now, this has real implications. I'll talk about that in a minute. Obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, read those last three words, called as what? Notice He didn't say called as sinners. Come on now. He didn't say y'all a bunch of sinners. He says you are called what? That's your identity, beloved. Your identity is in your belovedness, not in your fallenness. You with me? That's important. Your identity is in your original glory, not your original sin. I'm a saint who stumbles. Oh, when the saints come stumbling in. That's how it should work. (laughs) That's how the song I think should be. So the gospel story goes something like this. Are you ready? Here's how I think it works. Everything began with God. God made everything we can see and even the things we can't see. God made the world to be His home. That's how the story goes. A world very much like a temple palace. A temple because God would live there. A palace because God is king. Then God made the very first people so God could share God's temple palace with them. God gave them this beautiful garden within this world to live in. And God gave them a job to do. He wanted them to love each other and to take care of God's good world, this temple palace, and rule it well on God's behalf. Not ruling one another, but ruling God's creation. But they didn't. They didn't like doing things God's way. They wanted to do things theirs. And so they listened to the devil who tempted them. They took what wasn't theirs. They tried to rule themselves. They tried to rule the world in their own way. 
In essence, they tried to be God. The very first people had to leave the garden. And they had to leave God's presence. And without God, they began to die. But God never gave up on them. God still loved them. God promised to renew and restore the world so God could share it with them again. But it wouldn't be easy. We know that's how the story works because everyone who's ever lived from the very first people all the way to you and me have gone the same way. We've all taken what isn't ours. We've tried to do things our own way. We've all tried to be little gods and things keep getting worse. But God had a plan. So God chose a man named Abraham. And God gave Abraham children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and God turned Abraham into a great nation and called this nation Israel. And God made Israel God's chosen people. And they would join God in fixing the world. So God went with Israel everywhere they went. And when they were slaves in another country, God remembered them. When they were treated badly, God liberated them. God gave Israel a home. And then God gave them a job to do. To live in such a way that the world would know what it looks like to be the people of God. This is what it meant for them to be God's chosen people. To show the world the reign of God. So God gave Israel priests to teach them how to love God. God gave Israel laws to teach them how to love each other. God told His people, if you follow me, you'll have a good life. You'll get to help renew and restore my world. But Israel didn't listen. God's people didn't want God telling them what to do or how to live. They wanted to do things their own way. Just like the very first people. Just like all of us. Eventually, God's people didn't even want God to be king. They wanted a king of their own, a person just like them. So God gave them what they wanted, and He gave them a king. Their choice... And then they had another king, and then another king. And some of the kings were good, some of the kings were bad, and all of the kings were imperfect. Mostly the kings just did what they wanted to do. They took what wasn't theirs and ruled Israel for themselves, not God. Got themselves in all sorts of little wars, and they tried to be little gods. So God sent prophets. He sent them prophets to tell the kings and all the people that there's only one true king, only one true God, but the kings and their people wouldn't even listen to the prophets, and so they had to suffer the consequences of their own decisions and sometimes even had to leave their home, just like Adam and Eve did in the beginning. And so other nations came and conquered Israel and carried God's people off by force, and Israel lost everything. And then there was silence. 400 years of silence. And no one heard from God until something unusual happened. And what happened is what God was trying to tell God's people all along. So God sent someone, a person just like us, yet different. Someone who could rule the world the way God wanted. God sent Jesus, His chosen one, to rescue Israel and both renew and restore the world. And we know how the story goes. Jesus did good everywhere He went. He, he healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He liberated people from all sorts of hard things. Jesus did everything God wanted but it wasn't what God's people wanted. They didn't want Jesus to be their king. They didn't want the kind of kingdom He would bring. 
So one day, powerful religious and political leaders decided they'd better put a stop to Jesus before he took their power away. They had Jesus arrested. They had him stripped naked. They had him nailed to a cross to die. And the crazy thing is that Jesus didn't even fight back. He didn't raise a sword or even his voice. And so the powerful religious and political people thought they had won. They thought they had beaten Jesus. And some even believed to be God's chosen one instead of Jesus. And something no one understood was that they didn't realize Jesus was God's chosen one. Jesus died not because he had to, but because he chose to. They didn't know that they, like all of us, deserved all sorts of terrible consequences for all the times we've gone our own way and ruined God's world with our selfish, sinful, rebellious ways. They didn't know that Jesus would bear a servant's cross that would become his crown. They didn't know that Jesus would bear a servant's death that would become his life and then become ours. The one true king had come to give his life for the world, but these people who put him to death did not know. And so then God, the one who made the world, who rescued Israel, who sent Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. And lots of people saw him alive before he went back to God. But Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. See, he defeated death by his resurrection. So death wouldn't have power over us any longer. Death died. And God gave us the king we needed, even though he wasn't the king we wanted. A king who loves us, forgives, liberates, and changes everyone who trusts him with their life. And then for those who do, the king gives a job. Much like the job the first people received in the beginning, much like the job Israel had received. And that's really to love each other with all we've got because that's how we ultimately show what it's like to be loved by God. That's how we show others. That's how we bear witness to the reign of God in the world it's how we show others what kind of king we serve. And that's how we show others who God is. And so even now, it's not hard for us to see that the world is still broken. Earthquakes happen, pandemics rage, divisiveness and arguments take place, families divide, churches divide, politics still has its way. The world is still broken, still waiting to be fully renewed and restored. But someday, our King is coming back to liberate us completely and share His home with us again, exactly what it was like in the beginning, except even better. Because see, then no one will ever take what isn't theirs again. Then no one will ever again rule God's, uh, ruin God's good world. Then no one will ever again do the things that hurt us. No one will ever again be tempted to be little gods because we will live fully and completely in the presence of God face to face. The King has come, just like God always said, and the King is coming again. And in the meantime, God lives with us. See, that's the story that Paul believed. And Paul knew that he wasn't the originator of this story, and neither are we as Gentiles, which means non-Jewish peoples. We're just guests of the story. It's why Paul would say in Romans 11, if you want to mark it out, that we are, quote, grafted into the story. We're participants of the story. 
The story that originated in an ancient Near Eastern land. It's a story of olive skin, brown skin, and black skin people from Israel unfolded the story of God as King in Jesus of Nazareth. And from these people, the story of God's Gospel swept through the Mediterranean region from the Middle East to Asia to Africa. And long before, long before it ever got to the West, long before it ever came to our side of the globe, long before it ever came to these United States. And yet this story, timeless but rooted in time, geographically placed but geographically transcendent, is a story that arises from an historically oppressed and marginalized people of color that by God's grace alone becomes a story we are invited to participate in. And it's a story that forms us and should guide us. But beloved, we got to know the story. See what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, later on he says in verse 16, if you have your Bibles, he says, For I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Everything I just told you. I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is God's what? Power for salvation for everyone who believes. First to the Jew, which is why he's saying like it originates somewhere other than you, and then to the Gentiles, or then to the Greek. The gospel's a story of power. Everybody say a story of power. But it is a story that we did not create and cannot manage, control, or dictate. We can only participate. This story is not about us, but includes and involves us. This gospel is God's story. And it speaks of what God has done and is doing in our world in and through Jesus as this redeeming King and Lord. This gospel should change how we see the world. That tells us everything is about us. This gospel should change how we see the world that says the world has the final say. This gospel should change how we think about ourselves and others in our neighborhoods and our workplaces in our nation and other nations. It should change how we think about the whole of creation. It has the power, according to Paul, to change our lives because we see the world and think about it differently. Listen to what Paul would later say in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, by, the, by what God has done, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Why? Because the story is trustworthy. If the story is trustworthy, then the God of the story is trustworthy. This is why you don't want to own the story. This is why we don't want the story to originate with us. We want the story to be bigger than us. We want to participate in a story that's not our own, that we are welcomed into by this God who welcomes us into his life because then we have no power over the story, which for me means I just can't mess it up. I just enter into this story and I present my life to God as a living sacrifice and that becomes my spiritual act of worship. And then he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this age or to the patterns of this world, to the way the world thinks, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. God's story is meant to be our story. And here's what I really wanted to say. As I spend time with many people talking about life and faith and following Jesus, I'm growing increasingly convinced that people's inability to change isn't merely a lack of desire or effort. I find that most people want to change. I believe that most of us want to know what it means to be intimately loved by God and to love God and to Live a life with God as disciples of Jesus. 
I think most of us want spiritual maturity and growth. I think most of us want transformation. I'm increasingly convinced the problem is not that we don't want it, or that we don't want to change. The problem is not that we aren't trying to change. I think sometimes the problem is we don't know how to change. We can't pray it out of us. We can't study it out of us. We can't sing it out of us. Whatever the it is, it's just there. And y'all, there's a lot we can say about this, and we've said a lot about it. We do it all the time. We've offered spiritual practices that can help shape our hearts, where we, by these practices, lean into the power of God for our transformation. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to, I want to close up by thinking about the story. Because it's this story that leads us to change. And if we're formed by the story of God and the gospel of King Jesus, then we must be guided by the story if we're going to change. Jesus, as creator of life, knew what invites the human heart to greatest change. And it was story. It's why I've come to believe that we are the stories we tell ourselves. These narratives through which we find meaning and see the world. Jesus understood how people changed. This is why he called us to the gospel of a story, the announcement of a new and better story. He understands. He understands that only a new story could change us and liberate us from the old one. Perhaps this is why Jesus taught mostly in story. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus teaches mostly in story. Jesus would say things like, the kingdom of God is like a man who found a buried treasure in a field. Right? Or he would teach about the forgiving love of God, not by saying God loves you and forgives you, but how did Jesus teach about the forgiving love of God? He told a story. He said a man had two sons. And he tells a story. If we as God's people will listen to Jesus' stories about God, God's kingdom, and what God is doing in the world, we'll know the right things about God. And then the right beliefs will inspire the right actions and we will faithfully follow and bring about what Paul said in Romans 1, the, ability, the obedience of faith. It's the stories we live, y'all. Let me give you a quick example. It's the story of why we put on masks. We either put on masks out of fear and the insecurity of all that that could bring. We put on masks because we want to bear witness to something bigger than even ourselves. We live in a society that says, you do you and I'll do me. But we are part of a, a life that says, there's no you do you and I do me. There's we do we all the time. Because a part of our story is that we've learned to love our neighbors as what? We love ourselves. We've learned to treat others as what? We'd want to be treated. And so we do the things we do not because we're mandated, not because we're made to, not because the governor says so, or the president may say so, or some legislative body may say so. We do what we do because we're motivated by a different, by a different story. Like that should really be the issue. Because if we live according to the stories that we're given, or let me say it this way, if we try to blend God's story with another story, the story of getting and gaining, of you do you and I do me, the story of violence and power, or even the story of America or some other Babylon, then we'll find ourselves tripping all over the story of God. But if we know God's gospel story, 
if we receive it with humility, everybody say humility. And we remind ourselves of the story daily. Everybody say daily. And we faithfully gather with God's people to rehearse the story in prayer and in confession and in song and in conversation around the Scriptures more than just once a week. And we celebrate the Eucharist each week. We'll be formed and guided by the Gospel story. We will be. You know why we will be? Because the Holy Spirit of God is forming us in accordance to it. And we will live how we're formed. The power of God within us will form us. And we will choose to be guided by it. If we choose to get outside of our comfort zone and conveniences and learn to love our neighbors and learn to love our enemies by doing the work that love requires, like extending hospitality, doing mercy, promoting justice, supporting the things that make for peace, then we are being guided and continuously formed by the gospel story of God, if we wake up every day remembering that God knows us best and loves us most, no matter what, now and forever, and then God longs to lead us by God's power into a life that reflects the reign of King Jesus, then that becomes the story we tell ourselves. What story are you listening to? What story are we telling ourselves? I've come to believe, chosen, chosen, to see this mask as a spiritual practice. That's how I'm choosing to see it. You, you think about how you want to see this in light of the story we live. I'm choosing to see this as a spiritual practice. As one that reminds me that my life is connected to others, that I'm to treat others as I would be treated, that I'm to love my neighbors, I love myself, that I'd be willing to submit myself to the good of others, that I would be willing to, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, give up my liberties because I'm truly, <laughs> I'm truly, truly free. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, read it. You know you're free when you're able to release of freedom for the good of somebody else in the name of love. I don't understand all the data and the science. I'm not that smart. I don't understand what's going on with this thing. I don't get it. But I know how to love. And so do you. And this here, this is just a simple symbol. I'm talking about meaningful things like generosity. I'm talking about things like kind words. I'm talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about not fighting the fight that the world wants us to fight. We live according to a different story. But y'all, let's be honest, we have to choose to live into that story every day. Because we are told story after story after story that sometimes even sounds more practical and compelling, doesn't it? Let's just be honest. I was watching this documentary on Marvin Gaye. Yeah, that's right. Yesterday was documentary day in the Ligon House. Al Green, Marvin Gaye, Dave Matthews Band, Mumford and & Sons, and then Woodstock 99. Oh my goodness, Woodstock 99 was a mess. But I digress. One of the things Marvin Gaye said that I thought was poignant, a man who was killed by his father, a man who had his own demons, he said, the pleasures, they said I knew my life would be torn between the pleasures of the devil and the joys of God. 
We can't blend stories. We have to choose a dominant story. The good news is, if we choose God's gospel story, the Holy Spirit will form us into who we need to become. We will have all we need to live it out faithfully. Choose the story of Christ, which may include the cross. But guess what happened after the cross? Come on, y'all. It begins with an R, ends with an N. It's a long word. There we go, resurrection. There's always life, beloved. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.